Welcome once again to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols. We hear of groups of people and clubs with all sorts of common interests coming together to share their knowledge and their friendships. One such group has been around for a long time and it's Men's Sheds, an organisation where men can have companionship of others, often when they've retired and not quite sure what to do with themselves after the novelty of not having to work to set routine. To talk to me today is David Helmer from the Men's Shed Association. David, thanks for coming in. Tell me about Men's Sheds. When did it start and where? That is a really open area. We do it because we know that the earlier sheds have been around for about 15 years. Mm. Uh, there is a number of sheds around Australia that evolved around that time. Um, it wasn't really until within about the last five to six years that it really gained a lot of momentum mm. up until in our at our last conference in 2007 we were aware of 140 sheds roughly around australia mm. and now we're aware of about 367 two years later so it really escalated but the earliest sheds that we know of go back to about 15, they go back about 15, 15 years, years. Yeah. so it's um it's not really a novel thing even though it's taken a while to to suddenly get going no and in some ways the the concept itself isn't all that novel we've seen men working together on projects and getting heavily socially involved within football Mm. clubs and you know sporting Mm. clubs and these type of things it's just a new aspect on it I, i was once in many years ago heavily involved in a local sporting club in the maitland area and the men there were always working on the club facilities more than what they were participating in the sport. Mm. And in some ways, that was a men's shed. Yeah. So I really saw my first men's shed before I realised it. So the the sheds actually encourage the companionship as much as whatever work they do. Yes. The, the, I always say to people that the product that a shed produces or what they do in a shed mm. equates to, 90, uh, to 10% of the purpose. 90% of it is about the men coming together mm. being sociable having a cuppa and a chat that's that's the main objective of a shed as well as the companionship you've also got the history of the men's skills mm-hmm. if you've got woodworkers or metal workers those sorts yep. of things um, they have an opportunity to keep their skills don't they, they do and sheds are really a i describe them sometimes as a library of knowledge and skills a, a typical scenario is that you might have a carpenter and a boilermaker join the shed mm. uh, the boilermaker always wants to work learn woodwork and the carpenter always wants to learn metalwork <laughs> they always want yeah. to not just teach their own skills to others but learn new ones that learning seems to never stop which once that gets going of course snowballs and mm-hmm. and, and their skills continue on then exactly how often do you find that men have empty time and they don't know what to do with themselves it's this is a scenario that we like to look at is that men when they retire one of the problems is their workplace with men was also their social place Mm. Um, quite a lot of their social links are through the workplace and when they retire they lose that unless they're heavily involved in a sport or pastime that yeah not everyone wants to play golf or do Mm. whatever else they lose that social aspect so that's where sheds really keep that going it gives them a place to go on a daily basis some men might only go to a shed once a week once a month some go every day mm. and are there oh, all day right. okay so yeah. there's the opportunity to go every day if they want to yeah if that if the mm. particular shed operates every day mm. and the operation mm. times of sheds vary suited to the, the area that they're in and the environment that they're in 
And I guess one of the alternative, which is not as not so good in any way, I suppose, is that when the men get lonely, they tend to drift down to the club or the pub or something, exactly. which is not the right environment for for them mm-hmm. or for their families. One of the things that we've been looking at with the and uh, we've been debating with the development of the national men's health policy that the our association has been involved in is some of these social determinants of men's health um, we know one of the issues is alcohol and substance abuse mm. a different way of addressing that is not looking at repairing these problems but trying to prevent it why do that yeah. why does the guy go to the pub in the first place generally when he's retired it's that social aspect that leads to more and more alcohol consumption puts restraints on his financials so then eventually ends up sitting at home in his shed drinking alone and it starts the whole downward, downward slide. This is just putting a different alternative out there for We're talking, I guess, basically about men who've retired, but this must also apply to men who've lost their jobs for, for whatever reason. Yes. So this also gives them a chance, I guess, to keep their skills and to learn more skills mm-hmm. um, in that companionship, if you like. It does at the moment with the economic downturn, especially in a lot of rural areas we're seeing big increases in shed membership Mm. and a lot younger men involved and a lot of these sheds are registered with Centrelink for mutual obligation so they can go there as a volunteer and keeps their self-esteem up. They've got something to do every day, a purpose, Mm. a reason to get out of bed and participate. gives that meaningful purpose there so it's very much benefiting their mental well-being. That was going to be my next question. I think that Often these men, if they've lost their job particularly and they're worried about financing mm-hmm. family and all the rest of it, that this can lead to depression and other mental problems. So I guess the sheds do give them the opportunity to not let that happen or not to let it get as bad as it might. Yes, it gives them a very good support network of other men there to keep an eye on them, mm-hmm. uh, just encourage them. And sometimes we even see people get employment out of the sheds yeah there's that networking oh yeah i know such and such Mm. he's looking for somebody at the moment yeah Uh, we see that as well but it's really primarily keeping up their self-esteem and i guess that because it's all men or usually all men they're more inclined to talk to their mates rather than go home and worry the wife or go down to the doctor or do whatever exactly now not all sheds are all men Mm. there's quite a lot have women involved Mm. but that scenario about the men talking, we have a... Uh, the association's motto is men don't talk face-to-face, they talk shoulder-to-shoulder. And the scenario I use a lot on that is that if you want a dozen men to talk about anything, being health or their problems at home or anything, you get those dozen men, put them around the table, they'll all look at you stupid and get up and walk away. <laughs> now, you get the same dozen men, put them around the table... Throw an old lawnmower on the table, some spanners, and tell them to fix it. Come back in six hours, and they would have discussed all their issues. They would know each other intimately. The lawnmower still won't be fixed. It won't be going anywhere in a hurry. <laughs> you know, they will still be arguing about what the yeah. actual problem is. But you've created the right environment for them to talk, and it's a comfortable environment. I often hear of this, particularly with the men's winter swim association mm-hmm. um, where the men will go and have their swim and their soup and and then they have a, a coffee or a beer or something afterwards and they'll stand around and talk and mm-hmm. support each other mm-hmm. so while they're not necessarily using their hands 
they've still got that companionship. Yes, and they're coming together for a single purpose. A single purpose. Yes, and that's the important thing, is to get them together for something that they believe in doing and a a place for them to belong. It's all about creating that belonging as well. If they go to the sheds with a particular skill, they might have been working for, let's say, 10 years and doing carpentry, and then for one reason or another they're not working. I suppose the shed will give them an opportunity to keep pace with their skills and maybe as the skills generally improve they can keep pace with what's going on in that particular trade they can and also they get the opportunity a lot of sheds participating youth mentoring programs so they get the chance to pass on these skills to to Mm. the younger generation there's a very broad scope of age within sheds you know they can be anywhere from 12 to 102 uh it's that broad but it does keep them up to date with their skills and the opportunity to pass it on to other people. You're listening to Wellbeing and today I'm talking with David Helmers. David, if someone wants to get involved in the shed for whatever reason, is there a cost involved? Generally, we try and keep the cost involved to sheds at a bare minimum. Most sheds' membership is around $5 a year, 5 to $10 a year. Mm-hmm. Most sheds are very well equipped and at the moment most sheds are moving to the stage now they're becoming self-sustainable they're self-managed and self-sustainable so through that self-sustainability they're managing to keep their costs to a bare minimum so generally there's it's like joining any association Mm. there is some Mm. joining fees but it's our belief to keep that to bare minimal so we're not discriminating against you know we're there to try and help people not to say, well, this is only for the rich and it's going to cost you $400 a year. You know, as, as yeah. We try and keep it as, as little as possible. You said about equipment and thing. Where does the equipment come from? A lot of... Each shed's different. I've probably been in, I don't know, going to be close to 200 sheds, I suppose, around Australia now, and every store is different. Some are funded by government programs. A lot of the time, too, we get a lot of money donated from when we start the projects from Rotary, Lions Clubs, other service groups, private donations. And then, too, when people know that, especially in rural areas and in urban areas, when the word gets out that there's a shed developing, the phones start ringing hot in that area and people ringing up and, you know, the typical scenario might be that father passed away a couple of years ago, we've got all these tools in the shed and all this timber or all this, Mm. do you want it and donate it to us? And I have one case in the Blue Mountains where a gentleman who was moving into a nursing home and there must have been $100,000 worth of commercial woodworking equipment Mm. in his shed that he operated his business from, he donated it all to the shed. Isn't that wonderful? It is. So really, the the, the materials can come from anywhere, and sheds with a surplus of material, of Mm. equipment that's donated, will then try and pass it on to another shed in the area that needs that same type of equipment. So there's a network between local sheds? Yes, here in the Hunter Valley we have what we call the Hunter Valley Shed Cluster Group, and I'm actually off to a meeting there later today with this group, and I think there's about 16 or maybe 18 sheds now in the Hunter Valley Mm. that work as a collective group uh, to assist each other. So that's the local network, and then we have a state branch of the Men's Shed Association. We have a branch in every state, and that all goes up to what we look at here is the Australian Men's Shed Association, which has 367, I think, at the moment, sheds around Australia, and 12 of those are also overseas now. We have a couple in Ireland and New Zealand that are members. So if anyone 
no matter where they were listening to this program, if they wanted to get involved or wanted to know more mm -hmm. about it, they would find them in the local telephone directory for a start? The, probably the best way for, to find out where a shed, the nearest location of a shed, is to give us a call at the association on our 1300 number and we will then find the nearest shed to them or a group starting a shed in the area. It's getting Now it's grown that rapidly in the past few years. Most towns and regions have a shed you know, reasonably mm. closely located to them. A few years ago, they were miles apart. Now, you know, they're just a. If Sydney alone has, I think, forty odd sheds now in the Sydney area. Mm. As I said, there's you know sixteen or eighteen here in the Hunter. Most areas have a shed now, so we can put them in touch with the the, the nearest shed to them. Well, what I'll do at the end of the program, I'll get that uh, thirteen hundred mm -hmm. number off you, so that people can write it down at the end of the program. You said about some of the materials being donated as well mm -hmm. if they're not donated how do you acquire them or how do the sheds acquire them the sheds operate uh, very much like any incorporated body um, they do their own fundraising and oh. a lot of the time the work they're doing is for another organization being a, a charity or a school group mm -hmm. things like that and they just ask for a donation to cover the cost of the materials oh, a lot yeah. of the time. Yeah. Uh, a lot of sheds work to make a product which they'll take to market. We have a very guiding rule with sheds is that sheds will not compete with commercial businesses. Mm. If someone came in and said, I want a steel shelving made for the factory, mm. uh, we would say, no, there's a steel fabricator down the road, go and see him. It's only very much community-based work. Now, you said that in some sheds you have women members mm -hmm. as well. What is usually their role within the They can be really varied. A lot of the time in rural areas, especially my first contact to set up a shed is from women in the, in the town wanting to get the, something for the blokes to mm. do. That is very typical. But they, they can take any role at all within a shed from being the driving force to start it or on the managerial mm. side right through to on the tools. Um, oh, okay. And yeah. some sheds will have days where it's, and a lot of the time the women respect the fact that this is a men's shed mm. as for them and what it's about and the talking, but they want to have a go too. So you might have Women's Wednesday or mixed days, or you know, I've seen some sheds. I go there at lunchtime and you would not believe the it's like a cake competition. You know, the, all the things <laughs> they're bringing along, this competitive between the wives, and yeah, you know, they all have social get-togethers, and it's really amazing to see in a lot of the sheds that. Here's all these men that may have not known each other before, mm. and now they're a very close-knit group, mm. and their wives and families are involved, and sometimes you'll go to a shed and there's nobody there because they've all gone away in their caravans or whatever for six weeks together, and yeah, <laughs> which is fantastic. Yeah. It really yeah. is when things like that happen. So amongst we've been sort of talking about hands-on skills, but they have gardens and, and crops and all those sorts of Look, things as well? The what happens in a shed is wide and varied. I've seen, uh, I can honestly say now I've seen it all. The majority of sheds are probably woodworking based, mm. um, but then you, you get a lot doing metalwork and things like this. Then you get community gardens. Uh, the shed at Salamander Bay is tied in with a recycle centre up there and they do some wonderful work. Mm. But also I've seen them build uh, tractors, trucks, boats, aeroplanes, trains. These are real ones, not models we're talking about. I've actually seen it all. So it can be as wide as the imagination will, will allow. 
If the men are interested in cooking, for example, mm-hmm. and a lot of men are, is there often the availability for them to learn those skills as well? It's, as I say, it's very wide. Anything that the shed wants to do, it can That's do. That's what they do. Yeah, I've, I've been to one shed and its main activity was home brewing. And they had a, like a miniature home brewing club in the shed. <laughs> so it can really be anything. Is there anything um, apart from home brewing and, and perhaps aeroplanes that you often sit back and think, well, fancy doing that? I, I suppose now I've got a... I might be a bit sanitised towards it because I have seen things, but a lot of sheds participate too in very in informal and very formal mentoring programs, mm. working with disadvantaged youth and local high schools, and I think that's one of the biggest achievements of sheds. Some of the results I've seen personally of that has just been phenomenal. Uh, the turnaround in some of the youth's lives and. That makes a big difference to the older men in the shed too. Mm. Are participating in that you can see and the bonds that form between both the, the young guy and the yeah. old guy. It's absolutely amazing, and I think that's the highlight of sheds when we see those type of results. Um, you see some men when they first come to their shed to the shed with their shoulders dragging, and you can tell they're really down. And you come back and see them a week later, and they're on top of the world. Mm. These are the main things of a shed. They they're probably stand out more than what the aeroplanes and boats and trains ever do. You're listening to Wellbeing. I'm Iris Nichols, and I'm talking with David Helmers from Men's Sheds. David, when they have um, to take up this mentoring mm-hmm. theme a bit more, when you have the disadvantage and the and the younger men are these often the kids who've just left school and in that in between phase that need a it, bit of a helping hand. It can, it can be very wide too, very varied. It mm. can be from kids at high school that just aren't fitting in to mm. the normal academic system. Uh, a lot of kids are referred through from youth provider services to sheds mm. that and we prefer it that way a lot of the time because we know they're at a disadvantage they're already yep. been identified in the system and they need help mm. um, and it can be right through to uh, TAFE students that want to learn real advanced skills from say you know scenario might be that you have a retired fitter and turner in the shed mm. who is extremely good at his trade and knows the trade how it was Today and 50 years ago, yeah. that particular youth might want to learn these older skills and how to do it, the fine mm-hmm. arts of the yeah. trade, I suppose. Yeah. So, again, it shows some of the, the wide diversity of sheds that they can really accommodate for just about any type of scenario. You've said that they often meet daily or, or weekly. Mm-hmm. They set their own time system. Do they have a, a formal setup, as in a president, secretary, whatever? Yes, they... Most sheds are an incorporated body or come under the auspice of a charitable organisation or a local community group. Mm. Most sheds elect. They have certain office bearers. They have the standards like you would expect to go a chairperson or a secretary, Mm. treasurer, these type of things. But they have some different roles there too. You'll have project managers, purchasing officers, Mm. all these shed-specific roles so they've kind of taken normal incorporation rules and just modified it to suit their environment. Yeah. And we, we, through the association, we provide a lot of assistance to shed starting up on how to, how to put this structure together. So we really like to see the sheds become self-managed. That gives mm-hmm. the men in the shed a greater sense of ownership 
and that's one of the important things is that yeah. I say to anyone who's working as a coordinator in the industry or helping shed set up, you know you've done a really good job of setting up a shed if you walk in there one day and say to the guys, we're doing this today, and they turn around and say, no, we're not, because you didn't ask us. You didn't go through the procedures. When you get to that stage, you've done an excellent job of setting up a shed. So I I guess that the message I'm hearing here is that the men must communicate with one another in whatever form, and they seem to take that for granted, that, yes, they'll all talk together and all discuss. Mm -hmm. So that increases the bond between all of them? It does. It does. And, you know, typical with the blokes, you know, to do something in a shed, it might only be a two-hour job, that needs to do but generally on shed time that will take two weeks by the time they look at it argue it comment on it then argue about it again and then get back to actually who's going to do it do it that's where the communication really comes into it and eventually two weeks later they might actually get around to doing it a lot of the time as well as meeting to do whatever the job is do they sort of organize lunch between the shed and a sausages or sandwiches that yeah. sort of thing they get that organized as well they do and i find a lot of sheds and depending on the area that they're in here in the hunter they run very much like uh, on the time frames of what their workplace would have worked at oh they, yeah they'll mm-hmm. like to get there at a certain time in the morning they'll stop at a certain time for morning tea a long morning tea then they'll go back to the shed and then they'll have a long lunch then they'll go back to the shed and then they it's knock off time and they, it's, it's doing what it's designed to do, replace that workplace atmosphere. But then in rural areas, it's different. Um, in more urban areas, it, they sheds like to operate Monday to Friday. Mm. You say, oh, you say, oh, retired, but how about we do, you know, work this on the weekend? They say, no way, that's for fishing and family. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. weekend time. Yeah. Um, but in rural communities, the sheds are very strong on Saturdays. And it was the day when all the farmers would come into town, so to speak. So yep. that's the strong yep. day of running, of running in rural sheds and evenings more than daytimes. Even they might be retired farmers and have all day, but it's not in their routine. They'll still like to potter around the farm or whatever else and then come into town in the evening and work in the shed. If you've got a scenario where we've got a farmer in the district who's having problems, mm. either one of his workers are not well... Can he approach the shed and sort of say, look, I've, I need some help for a few days? Will he get that help? Um, that would be up to each individual shed. It's, we haven't really come across that in, oh, I haven't, in more urban areas. I'm sure mm. it has happened in rural areas. I know of cases in rural areas where the shed has gotten together and gone out and helped somebody on the land or at mm. home who might need some work done. A lot, a lot of sheds may, around here may do that, but they have to be very, very careful not to cross that boundary of what a paid tradesman would yeah. be doing. So they have to evaluate the situation. And if it's a genuine hardship charitable case, yes, they'll go out and help. Mm. But they've got to be very careful that they're not... Those sheds can be a bit open to exploitation there a lot of the time is that people think, well, he's free labour, and yeah. it's not that. So we, we, we do try and police that. What about insurance cover? That's been an issue for a few years now. All sheds must have public liability under the Incorporations Act, mm-hmm. the incorporated body. Fortunately, a lot of sheds are auspiced by a welfare agency and come under their public liability mm-hmm. cover or a community-based organisation and under their existing insurance policy. But through the association at the moment, we're working to get a blanket policy for the entire for all the sheds in the nation and then on-sell that to reduce the cost. The sheds that are out there at the moment 
earn a fully standalone, which is what we like to see every shed aspire mm. to. It's costing them between fifteen hundred and two and a half thousand dollars a year for public liability. As a collective group with our yeah. association, we aim at getting a blanket policy, hopefully within the next six months, and that should at least halve the cost to individual sheds. So it has been a bit of an, an issue. Some sheds have struggled with it, but. With the insurances always want insurers always want to see a risk management policy, and we have several versions of risk management policies that we freely share out to all sheds, mm. and so it gives them something to work off to start producing their own risk management. Yeah. Then the insurance companies are quite happy, and quite often will reduce the rate for them. That was something else I was going to ask you too about um, occupational health and safety. Mm-hmm and work cover and all of those things, that's all covered within the insurance overall, if you like. Yes, yes, yeah. it is. And most sheds now are very active with their risk management. You mm. go into most sheds and you'll see the signs everywhere. They have induction processes. By taking all this knowledge from all the sheds around the country, and I have to admit a lot of the information came from the shed at Windale here in the in the Hunter Valley, mm. which is one the first shed that I actually worked on. And... We developed a lot of policies and procedures through that project that then rolled out across the entire nation. And as we know now across the world, we've got sheds yeah. in Ireland using yeah. very similar policies that came from right here in the Hunter Valley. So these type of things have been implemented. You know, It's all about sharing the information. Now, David, earlier in the program we talked about a 1300 number. Mm-hmm. Um, that number is? 1300 and there's a, a website That's as well right. we so can go to? website is www.menshed, all one word, dot org. And menshed is M-E-N-S-S-H-E-D. That's right. Dot org. David, thank you so much for coming in. And, thank you and very much, Iris. It's, um, it's been great. And, and there's a lot of men who are interested in being involved but often don't know how to get started. So in amongst all that information, there would be a list of where their nearest shed is. On the website, there's a list yeah. of sheds, and if they, if they can't find what they're looking for there, if they mm-hmm. give us if they give the one three hundred number a, a call, mm-hmm. uh, we'll get back to them within about twenty four hours to forty eight hours, and fo- we'll find them a shed. But if if they know where the shed is, I encourage them to go down there, walk in, and you'll never look back. And of course, if if someone's already in a shed and knows of a mate. Um, who would benefit, they just take them along. There's no formal invitation as such? No, no, they're very open. And some sheds I'm aware of have mates days where they encourage their members, and if a shed's got 60 members, they encourage all 60 of them to bring a mate for the day. Oh, okay. And then all yeah. of a sudden they've got 100 members. And <laughs> you know, and, yeah. and some sheds, they're, get, they're getting too many members. You know, It's up in the hundreds now with, with some sheds. That, to me, sounds uh, just about the right way to go. I wish you and all the members of Men's Sheds um, all the best. Thank you for coming in. Thank you very much, Iris. My guest today has been David Helmers, and he's from the Men's Shed Association. Thank you, too, for being with us, as usual. Until the next time we meet, this is Iris Nichols on behalf of us all, wishing you well. <laughs>